Ah, Mr. Pembroke, it's my fine, generous friend. I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Wimpy, you ha I have given you five hamburgers in the last couple months. Pay up. It's Tuesday. Oh, uh, I just remembered a dentist appointment in Luxembourg. There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The penny and James got a sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello once again, everybody. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome to part two of our Popeye Month, as we take a look at Popeye's television debut. <laughs> Good old King Features Popeye cartoons. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, you've been binging these things for quite a bit, if I remember correct. Yes, I kind of love them. They're not good, but I kind of love them because they're so weird. <laughs> and what happened was King Features like had noticed that they've been rerunning the Popeye theatrical cartoons on TV and since King Features didn't have distribution rights to them, they weren't making any money off that. So they were just like, well, let's make our own Popeye cartoons with Blackjack and Hookers. And wait, no, that wasn't involved at all. Anyways. No. <laughs> yeah, this was around the time when the, the mining of the old theatrical short libraries was turning into big business for nearly every company. So, like you said, rather than make a big fight over it, since King Features still owned the character, they just decided... Let's do our own. And mercifully for King Features, Jack Mercer and Mae Questel returned for their famous roles of Popeye and Olive Oil, respectively. Alongside Jackson Beck, who was the most recent theatrical voice of Bluto. Except he's not Bluto in this. <laughs> no, we'll get to that in a second. But as for Beck, he's also known for voice and narration work on projects as diverse as the Superman radio show and the 80s G.I. Joe cartoons not to mention being the voice of King Leonardo in the cartoon of the same name. Nice. The The weird thing about this, though, is King Features' idea was, like, we'll outsource a bunch of companies and we'll make 220 Popeye cartoons in the span of two years. When, like, for a theatrical cartoon, or 220 episodes would be, like, shoot, like, I don't know, a decade? <laughs> a decade, at the very least. But... The sea shorts are the very definition of a mixed bag. The cost of TV animation versus its qualitative output was frankly low. So these did not, and honestly could never, reach the creative heights of the Fleischer's cartoons, or even the journeyman-level quality of the famous studio's theatrical shorts. And, and yeah, there was multiple studios involved, like, what remained of famous studios, which was, I think, Paramount Animation at this point. Uh, Paramount Cartoon one. Studios, to be precise. Yes. Uh, there was Car uh, Jack Kenny Productions was one of them, and they did, like, a huge amount of them. Like, geez, like, what was it? Like, freaking 101 episodes. In the span Something of like that. Yeah, and that's, like, in the span of two years. That's, like, they made a short a week or something, which is insane. There were a total of seven studios involved in this process, and since we're looking at four shorts, Pembroke was kind enough to pick four from the most prominent uh, creators involved. Yeah. Uh, other studios is the Gerald Ray Studio, which 
Unfortunately, we don't have one from them. The Larry Harmon studio, which we'll probably get, we'll probably get more into these when we get to them. And then Rembrandt Films, which was Gene Deitch's studio. And then Gene Deitch had to subcontract Hallison Bachelor to do some of his output. Yeah, that's a British firm, right? Yeah. Which, unfortunately, I King, uh, King Features' official Popeye uh, YouTube channel actually rotates these episodes on, on it, so you can just access them easily on YouTube. Unfortunately, one of my favorite episodes, which was done by Hallis and Bachelor, is uh, Potent Lotion, and that one is currently turned off on their YouTube channel. Oh, bummer. Well, we got some real uh, quote-unquote winners for you today. <laughs> oh, boy. But before we get to that, there is one last thing we do need to mention. The confusion over who owned the name Bluto. Which I don't understand how that confusion happened in the first place. He first appeared in the comics, so King Features obviously had the rights. But for whatever reason, Paramount claimed they owned Bluto, and rather than check, King Features just decided, well, fine, we'll just change his name to Brutus. Yeah. And- Make him obese. It probably didn't help that uh, Bluto only appeared in one comic arc in the original ECC cigar comics. Yeah, but the fight that uh, Bluto and Popeye had spanned months of strips, if I remember right. Mm, fair. Let's see. So, let's get going, starting with the last remnants of Famous Studios, as we mentioned, now called Paramount Cartoon Studios, with their production, Voodoo to You 2. And I have to say, they seem to be doing their best to make the most of the TV budget afforded to them, if this cartoon is any indication. I, I will say, of the multiple studios involved, Paramount is definitely the ones that made the best output. Their animation looks... For a 60s-era TV budget cartoon, and considering how much they made on a short schedule, pretty good. And they did, like, what was it? I'm looking. I've got, like, all these facts up right now. Uh, They did 63 episodes, so props to them for even making it look anywhere close to this good. Absolutely. The Sea Hag is the villain in this cartoon, a character introduced in 1929 in the Thimble Theater comic strip. She's the last witch alive and a pirate at that, commanding powerful magic, a vulture familiar named Bernard, and an army of the notorious goons from Goon Island. In the comic strip, she's madly in love with Popeye and jealous of the affection he showers on Olive, which leads to her many of her conflicts with the core cast. Also, she has one advantage to her that does make her quite the thorn in Popeye's side, which is the fact that she is female and Popeye refuses to hit women. Indeed. But for this cartoon, we open with the sea hag and Bernard, who is never named as such in the cartoon proper, but let's face it, it's him. <laughs> Pretty much. I think they actually call him something in one episode, and it's not Renard. I think they actually call him Seymour or something. Mm. They're walking through town, and they just barge right into Olive Oil's house. I, I do love this scene with Olive and the Sea Hag, where Olive is actually having a little bit of a good wit session here, because... Like, she's like, well, how dare you barge into my house? And the Sea Hag is like, I take what I want. And Olive's like, well, then take yourself out of here. 
Yeah, Olive is rightly protesting and threatens to call the police, which the sea hag dubs mutiny talk. Well, this escalated quickly, but it is in keeping with her pirate background, so props to the writers. Yep. They do good with uh, her dialogue in this. I will give her credit, because she says a lot of stuff that's pirate-ish, like vittles and grub and whatnot. But yeah, she she decides to throw a spell and turn Olive into her voodoo, her zombie slave, even though she's not really a zombie, but okay. Well, it's not quite, but it's the classic traditional brainwashed individual version of a zombie, rather than the shambling undead brain eater we know in pop culture today. It's some good old-fashioned hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing is, a zombie tradition involved people being buried or something like that. I'm not up on my voodoo, so I'm not going to pretend to know. I'm not going to pretend to invoke anything I do not know. Point is, I don't know. (laughs) I I will make a point with my very limited knowledge of voodoo later, but not right now. (laughs) So we get a robotic-sounding Olive asking for orders, and the sea hag demands vittles. Lots of grub. And just in time for Popeye to stop by for a visit and overhear what's going on. Yeah, he quickly figures out what's occurred, jumps into the bedroom window with some of the fastest animation you'll see in these shorts, and he tries to get her out of the trance. However, sea hag is very quick to stop him, and... Makes a voodoo doll out of a wax candle, which that's some amazing sculpting abilities you got there, witchy. To be sure, not to mention melting and cooling the wax so quickly. See, and then using a hair, one of her magic hairs to tie up Popeye's arms to where he can't move them at all. Which, yeah, this uh, is a hair off the sea hag's own head. If her hair is that magical, why isn't she just selling it? Well. I imagine there's a limited amount of it, regardless. Oh, yeah, she she is that old, after all. Though, due to my limited, and I will admit limited, knowledge of making a voodoo doll, um, I think you have to have a hair from your victim for it to work, last I mm. checked. I think that's true. But we should also bring up that the sea hag is actually being fairly petty right now. Her grand plan, which she's used stereotypical voodoo to keep Popeye out of it, is just to get room and lodge for free off olive oil? That's it? Hey. You gotta, you gotta eat and sleep. <laughs> yeah, but still, all this history she has with Popeye and company, and this is her entire thing for this cartoon? <laughs> I wonder if she even knew that was Olive's house when she parched into it. It was just like, oh, well, all right. <laughs> mm. Then again, making your, like, enemy, like, be your slave? I mean, I imagine there'd be some enjoyment out of that. True. I, I'm just surprised there's no mention of their shared history in this short. Well, these are short and fast. I mean, it's like they got five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So Haggy the Horrible locks the doll in a sea trunk and has Bernard carry it off to lose it. The studio animating this particular short also seems to be using the same perspective shot of the sea hag, just with different arm placements, including the shot of her about to swallow the key to the chest. They actually reuse that same pose, uh, that close-up pose uh, in a couple of other shorts, too, but, you know. If it works, it works. It's TV animation. (laughs) That's the 60s for you, alright. If it worked for Hanna-Barbera and Filmation. Anyways. Yeah, once that's done, she commands Olive to heave him overboard, 
and a detective op Popeye knows he needs help. And fortunately for him, another random grab from the comics appears to help him. Yep, Eugene the Jeep. Now, this is going to take a second to set up. Eugene was introduced in the comics in 1936. He's a magical Wetsit whose powers rival the Sea Hags. He's described as a fourth-dimensional creature living in a three-dimensional world by Professor Brainstein, which translates into his wild ability to go practically anywhere, even through walls and across ceilings, and often includes the ability to teleport. It's a neat little bit of pseudoscience to explain this character's cartoonish behavior being, well, cartoony, especially compared to the rest of the cast. Yep, he can also, like, Sometimes uh, you can also foresee the future, and he also seemingly Jeeps really don't like witches because he actually almost killed the Sea Hag at one point. His name is also one of the speculated origins of the name of the Army Light Utility Vehicle brought into service around World War II. Though I suspect it's more likely that the vehicle's general purpose moniker, or GP, is equally responsible, if not more so. Ah, uh, I miss my Jeep. That I used to have. Here. Okay. Anyways. But I, I will say Eugene is an interesting character design, especially in the comics, where sometimes E.C. Sager will get really detailed on him randomly, where he looks both kind of ugly and cute at the same time, and it's bizarre. <laughs> so it turns out Eugene is hip to the scene Popeye's found himself in and springs into action. Popeye follows the Jeep into the countryside to the chest, Barging into a tree in the process. Popeye is very intently watching him. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. And the Jeep's tail turns into a key for the chest. Now, Jeep can't untie the magical hair, so the Go Anywhere Jeep goes for the inside story on Popeye's clothes, which winds up tickling. And he finds, of course, what he finds, the spinach. <laughs> now, at first I thought he literally went inside Popeye's leg, not simply the pants leg which would have raised many, many more questions. But when the Jeep emerges with the spinach, my fears were allayed. Yeah, otherwise we'd probably get in the fetish territory and we don't need that. Yeah. The power-up fanfare plays, but Popeye still can't move. So the Jeep feeds the spinach to the doll. That's, that was yeah. in the chest. Which Popeye's skeptical about, but hey, it worked. I have to admit, this is the cartoon's cleverest moment. Also, I'm amazed at uh, Popeye's arms and Paul asleep being in that position for so long. <laughs> no kidding. Popeye thanks Eugene and races off to rescue Olive, who is fanning the ungrateful hag. I do have to wonder, how long was he walking like that? Because it looked like they went into a lot of different territories before finally eating that chest. Yeah, well, Popeye can handle it. We've seen how he handled the desert heat last time. True. So the sailor bursts in and starts thrashing Bernard all over the house. In, a, in probably the cheapest moment in this video by just showing the house and Bernard's head being thrown through multiple windows. It reaches the point where Bernard leaves with a terrified sea hag hanging onto his feet. Our cartoon ends with Popeye waking up Olive, who sees the mess the fight with the vulture caused, blames it on Popeye, and demands he cleans it all up. And Popeye says, uh... Oh, what's his line? It's like, <clears throat> it may sound amusing, but women are confusing to pop by the sailor man. Toot, toot. By the way, not a bad imitation. 
Oh, Billy West was right. That voice is like a buzzsaw in your throat. <laughs> I think I remember Billy West said he had to like drink like glasses of honey after doing that. <laughs> so the, that little refrain is slightly misogynistic, but those were the times and we've seen far, 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 far worse. Also, he's a sailor. Eh, he yeah. Pass. <laughs> One last right, thing uh, before we before we move on. For folks of a certain age, like Pemmy and myself, our main encounters with the Sea Hag and Bernard weren't cartoons, but in fact the Nintendo arcade game and its various home ports, where both appear as enemies. Yep, which, by the way, the uh, Nintendo arcade game is actually based on these cartoons and not like any other of the property, the Popeye-related properties. The artwork <laughs> on the uh, arcade machine is directly based on these characters' designs, and it's Brutus instead of Bluto. What? Go figure. I wonder if that's just what King Features gave Nintendo to work with, or if these cartoons were just airing in Japan at the time. Hmm. Either way, it they, they Nintendo did a great job with the material they were handed. Yeah, I like that. I love that game. That's really good. One thing I was wanting to say, though, about that ending is, uh, <laughs> to Popeye's credit, uh, if all of the things he did all that, just having him sweep it up is is actually getting off pretty easy, let's be to honest. To be sure. So, let's move on to From Way Out. Oh, it's a Gene Deitch short. Yes. Now, Gene Deitch's Rembrandt Films was based in Czechoslovakia, or what was then known as Czechoslovakia. And, and Gene Deitch is probably best known as the creator of the most manic and bizarre Tom and Jerry shorts of all time. Also, pretty mean-spirited, too. It explains some of the weird energy that's all over this particular cartoon. Yeah, um, I'm not a fan of Deitch's, like, Tom and Jerry shorts. Except for there's one he did that was about, like, how to to make your own Tom and Jerry short. And that one was actually kind of amusingly meta. But a majority of them, I'm not a fan of. But what I do like about Jane Deitch's work is... The animation is so weird, and the sound effects are so odd, and it kind of gives it a weird, surrealistic feel. Yeah, not to mention the way he portrayed the Captain Ahab uh, analog in the uh, one where they're going after Dickie Moe. <laughs> yes. King Features must have liked Gene Deitch's work because they actually hired him to do uh, half or a majority of the Crazy Cat uh, TV cartoons they did later. Uh, I guess his energy kind of suits those characters. Yeah, actually, I think of all of what I've seen of Deitch's work, that's probably my my favorite of it. Now, I'm not going to call the Crazy Cat shorts good, per se, but they're interesting. (laughs) Um, But that's a whole... I'll save that for another time, because I'm sure we'll look at those at some point. True. Our cartoon opens at an observatory, where a diminutive professor... Is this a reoccurring character? This is the only time I've seen him. And Hmm. what's weird in these shorts is I've seen multiple professors, and some of them they reuse, and some of them they don't. So it's like Popeye just knows, like, five or six mad scientists or something. And are any of them in these shorts the aforementioned Professor Brainstein? I don't think so. Huh. But, yeah. (laughs) Anyhow... This uh, professor is introducing a space magnet that he invented to Popeye and Olive. 
Anything in space that's made of metal, he can pull in and examine. I presume he means within range. I'm pedantic, but not that pedantic. I'll give the short this much length. I, I just the thing I know most about that that professor is he just kept going, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, play games with him, Popeye, yeah. <laughs> Olive insists they try it, and the professor pulls the lever, and the next frame displays the lever back in its previous position. Oh boy, Natasha. <laughs> I got two screen cats from this episode, but that's not going to help with when we're doing a podcast. But I will say there there is a frame where the animators completely forgot to draw Popeye's head. <laughs> oh, no. So something does get caught. And once the magnet is turned off, Popeye tries to catch it, but only gets the business end of the outer space equivalent of a motorcycle, not to mention a ray gun and a belt buckle. Yep. Which attracts the attention of the Martian that they belong to, who's having trouble keeping his pants up for, well, obvious reasons. <laughs> this chipmunked voice alien is wearing a set of sunglasses that I at first mistook for a mustache. I don't think the animators are sure themselves, because sometimes it looks like he's wearing sunglasses. Sometimes it looks like a mustache. Sometimes it looks like a muzzle. <laughs> But he demands answers. He's, we should also mention he's dressed like a motorcycle punk. And he's a member of the Martian Maulers, as per the back of his jacket. It might be worth mentioning that a friend of mine, uh, Baker Tunes, actually talked to uh, Gene Deitch once when he was... I think he's... Whatever, I, I don't remember. I think Deitch is not with us anymore. But um, he actually had a conversation with... Met Deitch and had a conversation with him. And Deitch said that Part of the problem with, you know, having a Czechoslovakian animation studio is the fact that he was the only American that was familiar with a lot of these properties that they would have to animate. And in this case, it was like he would have to, he would end up drawing a lot of the key frames himself and then have the animators work with that was kind of how okay. it had to work, which I guess is why there's misunderstanding with some of the models or something. Now Popeye returns the goods to, the, to this little guy, only to get socked in the face for his troubles. Yep, and <laughs> refers to the ray gun as a pop gun, and which the Martian would make at the time uh, hip phrases like call Popeye Big Daddy and make the scene with this stuff. But seemingly Olive and the professor are telling Popeye that he needs to uh, play games with him. Yeah. So Popeye decides patty cakes is the way to get on the Martian's good side? Yeah, I guess they're just not familiar with biker culture. Otherwise, they'd recognize what this guy, was, what the rough age range this guy would be. Or they just think all short people are kids. Not, not your most impressive moment, Popeye. No. This all only results in punch number two for Popeye. And the alien punk starts zooming around the observatory, disintegrating anything he likes, blasting a hole under Popeye, and generally enjoying being a pest. The, the face Popeye gives when he first gets out of that hole just cracks me up because it's the most like pissed off looking Popeye face I've ever seen. Hmm. It's such a dice drawing. <laughs> but Popeye ends up grabbing the scooter to stop the Martian then grabs the Martian and spanks the living hell out of him. Yeah, it's, it's like a machine gun. 
This is the most intense spanking animation I've ever seen in a cartoon show. Outside of anything done for adults. Even then. It's like, it's just that, that machine gun, like, rapid animation. It's like, damn. Now, considering the destruction of property and physical harm done to our protagonists, who certainly never asked for this rude treatment from the alien, the spanking is still getting off easy. Not to mention, the alien may have some reason to be a little pissed off. They did steal his shit, and he doesn't know what... And honestly, you could argue he probably doesn't know what the hell's going on to begin with. Hmm. He could think he's being attacked, for all we know. Uh, but Popeye's willing to let bygones be bygones, provided the alien behaves himself. Nope. No, the alien decides to call in friends, and that they're gonna have a rumble. We get a trio of identical, because it's easier to reuse animation that way, reinforcements. Even though they lose track on how many is there, but... Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. The professor closes the skylight, but the alien weaponry makes short work of making an opening, with the concrete left behind landing right on Popeye's head. <coughs> yeah. We get a very rapid, manic animation of Olive and the professor dodging the rampaging bikers. However, Popeye breaks his head out of the concrete, gets his spinach, and has the professor turn on the magnet to rip open the top of the spinach can. Yeah, well, yeah, Popeye only has one free hand at this moment in time, so if it works, it works. Which Popeye eats the spinach and decides it's time to take action on these youngsters. Yep, this is where I presume the budget might have ran out, or somebody doing continuity wasn't quite doing their job. Because we see Popeye eliminating three aliens. When there was previously four. Right. Though I uh, do find this fight animation kind of weird and amusing, where Popeye just punches two of them in the air, well, three of them into the air, and grabs the, the scooter, breaks it into pieces by doing freaking chops on it, and then just catches them, makes a hole just randomly appears into it. They catches the aliens into it, slams it on the ground until it makes like a rounded global shape and just grabs it and pretty much just says see ya and throws them back into space. Yeah, rather than actually seeing what happens, we just hear them dramatically and loudly crash as the camera zooms in on Papa and company. <clears throat> I puts them in place way out there in space. I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. Toot toot. Also, the animation's weirdly choppy in that scene. Like, he just randomly puts his arm around Olive, and Olive just kind of looks at him and then looks back. <laughs> and then he just, like, randomly, like, gets a cheer and puts himself into a cheer pose. It's so wonky. <laughs> but. Yeah, that's a that's a nice short for you. <laughs> what do you have to say about that? We're going to take a break, and things are going to get even weirder than this, if you can believe that. Oh, boy. And now, these messages. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, she's America's favorite colleague and was a television institution for almost 20 years by the time this cartoon came along. Lassie's Rescue Rangers from Filmation 
is one of the most critically reviled cartoons of 1973. Does it deserve this reputation? Or are we looking down the wrong well for Timmy? We'll find out ourselves in two weeks. Wish us luck, folks. And now, The Popeye Show! Welcome back, folks. It is now time to tell the story of Popeye and the Giant. <laughs> this short is... Oh, boy. Um, okay, so Jack Kinney Productions. Uh, Jack Kinney was, uh, used to be, was an ex-Disney animator, most popular for working on the Goofy solo shorts, especially like the how-to and sport Goofy ones, which... Seemingly, he was the creative force behind. He made his own production studio, and not only did he have trouble converting himself to working with limited animation, but for whatever reason, he decided to take on 101 of these shorts, and the quality of his shorts are all over the place. It's a heck of a fall, as far as I'm concerned, because those goofy solo shorts, to me, those are the crown jewels of the Disney theatrical short subjects. I like him, but I, I'm more partial to the Donald stuff. But well, that's, that's fair. Those are great, um, too, but I just love the timing on the Goofy stuff. <laughs> I, I do think the idea of Goofy as an everyday man is, is a really interesting concept, and they do some funny stuff with that. I will give them credit for that. I, I think one of my favorite gags from any of those is the one where he has to take over as wife, and, like, he go, opens the door to get the milk, and the milkman just kisses him randomly, and he's got this, like, face of, what? Oh, dear. So, let's not beat around the spinach plant. We open on a sunny day. Wimpy is lurking outside Brutus's house. Popeye is walking with flowers for reasons that never get explained. We get a shot of Wimpy's catchphrase spoken to no one in particular. And... Well, you warned me about this short, Pemmy, and now not half a minute in, I can see why. Yeah, this... Okay, like I said, Jack Kitty's output, again, he did 101 episodes in a span of two years. That's got to be, like, insanely breakneck's next speed. And because of that, yeah, his shorts are all over the place. Some look what you would expect from a 60s-era cartoon. Some look bad. This one is notorious. Horiously bad. This is the worst episode of this entire series. And I can only assume it was a schedule crunch of some sort. Because, man, nothing works at all. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of that as we go on. But our story proper actually gets going with Brutus reading the want ads. Where it turns out the circus is looking for a giant act. He decides that using some of his plant grow pills on Wimpy might make Wimpy into a giant. So he fills a bunch of hamburgers with these grow pills, which he just happened to have all these hamburgers. Hmm. Yeah, Wimpy eats the whole bunch off camera, gets sleepy, complete with our camera going out of focus for effect. Brutus claims it's working with not great lip sync. And then the next time we see Brutus... He's outside? <laughs> outside laughing for no reason. And then he's back inside. Now, 
I'll give you some fairness here to the, to the production company. The process of Wimpy's sudden growth is at least interesting to look at. He doesn't just grow evenly in size as most cartoon growth spurts occur. It happens in bursts and in different parts of Wimpy, starting with his feet and legs and then slowly going up his body. That's actually kind of interesting, I thought. Yeah, that, that is actually is probably where all the time and budget went into this episode. There's so many things just weird with that scene, though. Like, Wimpy eating that the hamburgers off camera is just him making a lot of sound, really weird sounds. Like, rum, yum, yum, munch. And it's just like, but they barely sound like even eating sound effects. They're just really weird. And then Brutus randomly being outside is like, what? You could have just reused that animation scene you reused earlier of him, like, holding his hands and looking at it. And if you were, like, that desperate. But, yeah, he's just randomly outside for no reason. Hmm. Also, Wimpy passes out. But when he passes out, he actually passes out to the side of the table. But then he's on the table. Oh, dear. There's so much wrong. So Wimpy eventually breaks through the roof of Brutus's house, and at no point does Brutus uh, realize he should have done this outdoors. Brutus takes this all very well, but he's also, I think, expecting to make a lot of money. Anyhow, Brutus tries to get him to work for the circus, but Wimpy takes advantage of his size and insists he eats first. So he eats. With this weird animation of Brutus making a bunch of hamburgers on a conveyor belt, which is like a cycle of just three, three frames or somewhere around three frames. And it's so bizarre looking. And he's like, I can't keep up with the demand, but it's not lip synced at all. Yeah. The quip is I can't supply the demand, which is a gag on, of course, the economic principle of supply and demand. (laughs) Which also could describe this particular cartoon when you think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brutus's animation is so herky-jerky due to that limited number of frames, and his facial expressions shift so fast, any emotion they're trying to convey is lost. He, he looks like he's having a seizure. <laughs> As for Wimpy, he just gulps them all down contentedly, and we switch to Brutus making his pitch to the circus owner. Which doesn't work because the circus owner says, like, he's too big. The cost of feeding him alone would be too expensive. And before Brutus can make a counter offer, Wimpy is in another tent eating every burger in sight. Well, you know, when you're that big, I'm sure you've got one heck of a metabolism you need to keep up. And, well, it's already Wimpy at that. Yeah. (laughs) So Brutus turns to the sea hag for help as she sits next to an etched sign calling her a shyster-in-law. Huh. Shyster-at-law. At-law. So, she'll help if it hurts Popeye. And they both cackle, but we never see Haggy's mouth move for the laughter. I also want to add that Seahag gets uncomfortably close to Brutus in this scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's right on top of him without even any approach animation. I mean, if you turn this side, you know I'll stop. <laughs> yeah. So they plot, and we transition over to a snoring Popeye in his bed, woken up by a crying giant wimpy atop a normal-scale baby's crib, 
with a note pinned to his behind explaining that the baby got an overdose of grow pills. Antidote is unknown. Signed, Seahag, Shyster at Law. Yeah, though when Popeye reads it, he says it's the... He reads a part that's not on that that note, which is that it's the... Um, what is it? The... Uh, is the... Uh, the civic duty of the finder to feed the baby. Thank you. Now, here's my big problem, aside from that missing text on the note. Brutus needed the sea hag for this? He wanted to make it official. <laughs> hmm. uh, anyhow, Popeye's smarter than any of them, including the script writers, and decides that finding an antidote is the way to go, starting with, what else? Essence of spinach. Also, I want to point out that despite calling it a baby earlier, Popeye instantly refers to him as wimpy with, like, nothing to explain that. Yeah. Uh, again, Popeye's smarter than anybody involved with this cartoon. <laughs> again, including the writers. <laughs> Problem is, the essence of spinach just makes wimpy bigger. Which they do by just zooming in on him. <laughs> and essence of hamburger... That makes him small. I guess Wimpy is what he eats, and the reintroduction of the essence of his favorite food reminds his metabolism and body of what it's supposed to be? I guess? I guess. The, the problem with that scene is he says it's essence of hamburger, but he's literally just holding a hamburger, which then makes no sense because Wimpy's been eating hamburgers this entire time. Yeah. Well... Back to his normal size, Wimpy thanks our hero, but all this reducing made him hungry again, and, well, you know. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today, which seemingly amuses Popeye. Yeah, I gotta say it. This cartoon made me a sad trash panda. I also want to say, what is that crib made out of? It, that it supported the entire weight of wimpy maybe it's the same material from the plane from that one purple pilot mumbly took on there you go i don't know but this season of attack on titan is really weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i gotta um, say pemmy you're lucky we weren't in person when i watched this because <laughs> after this i wanted to emulate popeye and punch somebody yeah this is the worst short of all of these shorts it's just everything is just a mess and nothing makes any sense yeah the animation doesn't make sense the script doesn't make sense the sense doesn't make sense if that makes sense the continuity makes no sense it's just wow i i think i i don't remember who but someone someone made a reaction to this by saying this is how you don't make a cartoon. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, we're going to end on a higher note, though, with Crystal Ball Brawl. This is a, well, it's, anything's a higher note after this episode. <laughs> yeah, but this one's actually pretty competent, I found. It, it's also got a little bit of interesting history to it, too. To be sure. Now, we should mention the majority of these on the official YouTube account do not include the credits, at least the ones I've seen and Pemi has shown me before. But this one does. 
and we see some very familiar names among the artists. Namely, Hal Sutherland and Lou Scheimer. Scheimer! Sorry. Yep, the same individuals who would go on to found Filmation, whose work we've covered previously when discussing She-Ra, Princess of Power, and the Star Trek animated series. Go check out those episodes if you haven't. Hint, 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 hint. Yes, uh, the founder, founders of Filmation, a company I love and hate at the same time. Maybe even love to hate. Uh, from my understanding, the other uh, co-founder to Filmation, Norm Prescott, also worked on these, but he's uncredited. Now, they're working under the auspices of Larry Harmon Pictures, the company who owns the Laurel and Hardy and both of the clown characters, and also did another series of television shorts we're going to be looking at probably in the near future, the 60s Dick Tracy cartoons. Those are interesting. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, we'll focus less on... Dick Tracy, despite his name being on the show, and instead on a bunch of ethnic stereotype cops. Yeah. <sighs> I'm thinking maybe August for this one? Yay. But anyhow. If we can... Have you been able to find those? I used to see them on YouTube, but I haven't looked for them in a while. I'll check in a bit. Right now, onto our cartoon. Wimpy is delivering telegrams now, because why not? He's finally trying to pay off those hamburgers he owes everyone. It turns out the telegram concerns Popeye being the sole heir to the estate of his magician uncle, Abracadabra. Wait, 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 wait. Popeye is related to the Flash villain from the 64th century? No, James. No, he isn't. Well, that is a King Features property. Wait, no, that's... I'm thinking of Flash Gordon, not the Flash. Yeah. Anyways... I, I do want to point out that uh, there's a couple of things I didn't realize about this until, like, now, which is, one, the attorney at law's loophole McGraw. Remember that? Okay. Uh, on the telegram. And then uh, telegram is spelled telogram, T-E-L-L-O-G-R-A-M. I'm pretty sure it's hmm. T-E-L-E. Well, maybe not. Yeah. But anyway. So this news causes Popeye to happily pass out. And Wimpy to start kissing up, smelling a quick means to the cash for presumably more burgers. It's like, I'll gladly come with you to help you carry your money. Remember, oh rich pal of mine, I am your dearest and poorest friend. I always find this concept weird because it's like, yeah, I get that you inherited a lot of money, but also your relative's dead. (laughs) Yeah, condolences should be in order first, but... Again, it's that runtime catching up with us. Well, that, and I've seen this concept in more than a couple of cartoons, so... Regardless, Popeye goes to the estate to see what he's got. The family resemblance is very strong. Kadabra is simply drawn as Popeye with a handlebar mustache and in different clothes. Including a, a swami kind of a head... Whatever you call that. Yeah. In one picture, he's staring at a crystal ball, the titular MacGuffin of this cartoon, which lets him see into the future. I do have to say, if there's anything I love about Popeye cartoons, it's how creative they get with Popeye mispronouncing even the most basic of words. (laughs) Crystal is crystal. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, these cartoons are so short that Wimpy walks upon the MacGuffin right away. While trying to figure out what it is, 
he gets an image of a newspaper with the results of the series of baseball games between the Bums and Boston. Once Wimpy realizes that series doesn't happen until next week, he then gets a stock tip and decides he's off to cash in. I want to add one thing real quick. I think the scene with uh, Wimpy in front of the crystal ball is like the only time I can recall ever seeing Wimpy with white in his eyes. Usually his eyes are either closed or they're just dots. But here they gave him full like circles and whites in his eyes. And for some weird reason, I find it really unsettling. (laughs) Mm. But it's a pip of a tip. After he departs, Popeye and Olive approach the crystal ball and start seeing things, including election results, depicting a presumably crooked candidate. I mean, his last name is Loophole. He's the guy, he's the attorney at law from earlier. Oh. Popeye wants to see who'll win the Kentucky Derby next year when Wimpy returns in a stretch limo with Driver. And of course, he's eating a hamburger. I, I do have to say, the fact that it, it literally the guy who becomes mayor is the attorney at law that he got the telegram from is one a, I, I clever kind of reference that I did not catch at first. So props mm. to them. And two, that's better continuity than the last cartoon we watched. <laughs> better continuity than a lot of TV cartoons of this era. This writer is clever. Props to him. Because I didn't even catch mm. that at first so so wimpy demonstrates another stock tip and the group realizes what this can do for them before we go further i want to mention that when popeye sees wimpy in the stretch limo with a hamburger his response wasn't realizing that he used a crystal ball instead he thought wimpy robbed a bank or something oh dear because <laughs> he's yes. like he's like wimpy what'd you do rob a bank and i'm just wow that's a heck of a jump <laughs> so of course we need a conflict for this cartoon so Q Brutus. Just walking in randomly and saying he wants in on this. Also surprising that Wimpy's willing to share the, the use of that crystal ball instead of he even trying to keep it for himself, as in the comics he would totally try to do that. <laughs> well, maybe he's being pragmatic. After all, this is Popeye's inheritance. True, and he can sh- share the wealth in, in this case. Yeah. Unfortunately, Brutus is nowhere near that pragmatic. His selfishness overcame any common sense he might have once had. And he just comes in and and runs off. Yep. Which, uh, Wimpy is randomly upstairs and and tries to counter with, uh, what what was he, like, with a surprise attack by sliding down. Yeah, sliding down a stairway railing. Ass first. (laughs) (laughs) Which takes Brutus out, but, uh. We don't see Wimpy after that at all. Just Bruce on the ground with Wimpy's hat on him for some reason. Somewhere, a young Rakishi Fatu was taking notes. <laughs> the crystal ball goes into the air. Popeye asks Brutus where his crystal ball is, only for it to directly land on Popeye's head. It goes up again and into Brutus's hands. To which Wimpy threatens freaking Brutus with a gun. <laughs> Yeah, but Brutus just punches him anyway, and it turns out it's just a little cork gun. I do kind of like like Wimpy's delivery, though. It's like, I've got you covered. Really, I do, or something along those lines. Popeye gets a taxidermied moose head shoved over his own head and a kick to the seat of the pants. Then when Wimpy returns, Brutus shoves Wimpy's hat over his own head. Fully. Yep. 
which that's a heck of a stretchable hat he's got there. True. Having a moose head either put on someone's head or fall on someone's head is a very common cartoon trope, but I always found it kind of disturbing because that is a dead animal after all. Mm-hmm. And this is not the first time we've run into a taxidermied moose head. We, we've seen more of these than we've seen actual moose. <laughs> I'm sure Bullwinkle finds those very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Rookie, can we leave? I'm not feeling comfortable right now. <laughs> So taking advantage of their blind status effects, Brutus directs them to crash into each other. And this gag goes a smidge too long to be as funny as it could be. But Popeye does recover it a bit by saying he thought he had the green light. <laughs> I Yeah, this scene goes on way too long, but I, I do kind of like... I do kind of like some of like Bruce's dialogue. He's like, Oh, I'm over here. Really? I am. He, he just, I love the delivery of sarcasm from him. <laughs> so with that, Brutus runs off Popeye chases and lands head first into a potted plant, a potted plant of spinach. Because of course it is. Yeah. Popeye confronts Brutus in a very clumsily animated kick into the sky. Yep, Brutus is blasting off again. And the last thing Popeye and Wimpy, who got a wardrobe upgrade, I might add, they see in the future is Brutus still amidst the clouds. Saying, what I do wrong? Which, uh, by the way, seems to be a running gag in the Larry Harmon shorts, because there's another one he does, which also ends with Brutus saying that for some reason, in that same voice. Now, as an end note for this short... After Scheimer and Sutherland and their cohorts founded Filmation, they never did get another crack at Popeye, but they did work on new cartoons for theatrical characters owned by MGM, Terry Toons, and even Warner Brothers via the single most anemically animated thing I've ever seen the Looney Tunes crew appear in. Daffy and Porky meet the Groovy Ghoulies. Yeah, and even worse is it that whole short kind of makes makes the Looney Tunes cast feel like they're sidelined by the groovy goalies of all characters. At least Bugs was not in it, so he he didn't have to deal with the indignity of it all. Yeah. And coincidentally, the Roadrunner also did not. Wiley Coyote was not as fortunate. All right. So the last King Features animation project to star Popeye would be a made-for-TV movie dubbed Popeye Meets the Man Who Hated Laughter, which would cross him over with nearly every King Feature syndicate comic strip character they owned at the time, from Beetle Bailey and Blondie to Prince Valiant and Flash Gordon. See, you you did have the right Flash in mind. You were just ahead of yourself. There you go. I've always wanted to watch that short, but the only version I can find of it is on archive.org, and it's got a this it's got some sound issues where there's constant static in like one of your ears and it just i can't it i just can't <laughs> following that popeye would appear under the auspices of hanna barbera when they took a pair of stabs at the property with the all new popeye hour beginning in 1979 and then popeye and son in 1987 which uh to their credit the all new popeye cartoons aren't that bad um, I actually think they're pretty decent, especially considering they were dealing, dealing with some very strong censorship rules at the time, where Popeye couldn't directly punch anyone in the cartoon now. So a lot of times whenever he'd uh, 
he'd uh, go off against Bluto, who's now Bluto again. He would literally like pick him up and chunk him, which I kind of think is a more impressive feat of strength when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Now, the former cartoon would be Jack Mercer's final performances as Popeye before his passing in 1984. The latter cartoon, Popeye and Son, would be the most prominent time Maurice LaMarche would perform the character. Which Maurice does a pretty decent job to his credit. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't have very fond feelings of Popeye and Son. My only memory of that is they made olive oil like a rubber figurine. I, she I bent all over the place. Yeah. Uh, they also, well, the Fleshers did that too, though, back in the day. So True. I, I do give credit to the, uh, another credit I will give the all-star Popeye, I mean, not all-star, the all-new Popeye show, is that Hanna-Barbera kind of tried to closer emulate the comic strip style, which was props to them because that, arguably hadn't been done since like the fleshers and even then they took some limitation they took their own liberties to an extent but uh popeye and son i have rewatched it Oof, it's rough <laughs> i do want to say i love the 80s gear though that they dress popeye and all of it on that <laughs> but uh despite not liking it, I will say that they did. Uh, they do at least reference stuff from the comics, like the Sea Hag appears in the epi- in an episode, and Eugene the Jeep appears in an episode. So, though I always wondered what the heck happened to Sweet Pea, which is probably my biggest grievance with Popeye and Son. Now, Popeye's most recent appearance in animation would be the 2004 CG animated film Popeye's Voyage: The Quest for Pappy, which saw the character being voiced by Billy West, as we mentioned uh, way back at the beginning. That's actually a, the animation's questionable, but it's actually a pretty decent made-for-TV or DVD movie, in my opinion. And starting in 2010 and going and going and going, massive Popeye fan and modern animation wonderkind Gennady Tartakovsky has been attached to an, and unattached, and reattached to a theatrical CGI film for Sony Pictures and King Features. Boy, that's been in development for ages. Yeah, I really hope that happens, though, because that, like, that teaser they released looked really, really good. It did. It did. And if anybody can do the proper squash and stretch that a Popeye movie needs in CGI, it's Kennedy. Yeah, because, like, he proved that with Hotel Transylvania. The way that thing animates, I didn't think you could do that in CG. I do need to correct you on something. That, uh, that... Uh, Billy West involved uh, cartoon was not the last animated interpretation of Popeye because King Features themselves is responsible for a set of web cartoons called Popeye's Island Adventures which is done a co-production between King Features and uh, Wild Brain Studios and I highly don't recommend watching them (laughs) if you think these are bad oh god these things well, they're animated better in what looks like some cheap flash, but they lose everything that makes Popeye Popeye. I'll say that. Oh, dear. They decide that all the characters need to look younger. Any romance subtext is thrown out. Any violence is mostly thrown out. Bluto is now, like, a more annoying neighbor character than any kind of rival and he's now shaven, which looks so 
weird. Hmm. So as for the cartoons we looked at today, and, and thanks you for warning me about those Flash cartoons, I, I will do my best to avoid them. The Kingfisher shorts are available legally and for free on YouTube via the official Popeye channel. You can view them for yourself, make your own judgments, and leave us comments on what you thought on Twitter, on the YouTube version of this podcast, or elsewhere. Yeah, it. I, I won't call them good overall, but I will say they're definitely interesting to watch because it is definitely due to how breakneck all of these were made, not just on the animation factor, but even writing all those scripts. They get really weird a lot. And it's, there's so interesting levels of just bizarre. Okay. Well, I think we've said all we need to say. Yep. So, uh, gotta restock the breakfast cereal. (laughs) Yep. And get twice the milk. Cause just doing those two Popeye impressions has ripped my voice to shreds. Well, at least, we, at least you didn't have to voice them for the last two episodes. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for listening, folks. See ya! The opinion changed to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.